c'est couper les doigts avec ça. Listen, you pervert, why don't you go over to This is a Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, once again, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, Cam, how you doing? Howdy. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I don't know. You know, record day. (laughs) Hot and ready. It is. This is one of my favorite days is record day. Uh, One, because I will have spent the weekend totally buried in research, and now I actually get to, like, unload it out of my brain. And two, I just get to spend time with some really awesome people, and that's partially why I get to do this show, and it's great. Please donate to our Patreon so we can keep doing it. (laughs) I'm going to bring on our guest right away. Last time we had him on, my co-host was uh, Paul Stachniak. He is a friend of AJ Fry, who will be joining us in just a second. Paul did not explain what the actual premise of the show was to AJ, so the movie that we chose got thrust upon him. But uh, I wanted to give him another chance to actually bring the movie that he wanted to bring. AJ, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Very excited to talk about my selection. Do we give that away already, or do, do we hold off on that? I mean, it's going to be in the title, right? <laughs> People are listening to this. They probably know we're talking Manborg! I'm so excited. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. And it's funny because we haven't done any Astron 6 yet. We've covered RKSS, but we haven't done Astron 6. And this seems like, oh, and even Hobo with a Shotgun. And this seems like the next evolution of no-brainer of modern Canadian horror sci-fi stuff. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I feel like this was maybe an inspiration. What was the first one you said? KSR? What was it? uh, RKSS. Okay, we're going to get into this. They're a very similar group of filmmakers to Astron 6. They made like Turbo Kid and that new one that came out summer of 84. Okay, yeah. Well, Turbo Kid was in the last few years. Manborg had to predate that for sure, right? 2012 for Turbo Kid. Okay, yeah. Manborg was what? Like 2000... 2011 Six or something? 11. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. So just oh. the year before. But we're gonna, I'm going to get into this. But first and foremost, you have a new show. What is your new show? What are you doing? Right. I've got my own podcast going. It's called Mistakes Were Made with AJ Fry. And essentially, uh, I interview a guest for about a half hour about uh, themselves, usually interesting, successful folks uh, established in their fields. But we discuss mistakes that they have made, be they in their professional lives or personal lives or romantic lives, whatever. Basically, it was inspired by the TIFU subreddit, which is where people upload anonymous stories of their woes. And I thought, hmm, this would be good content for discussion and introspection and such. Uh, And I know some cool people, so uh, I thought I'd slap together a a podcast. We recorded the first four episodes at a live show um, at Burdock Brewery here in Toronto in August. And I've just exhausted those uh, shows, putting them out uh, in the month of September. And my fifth episode went live today with uh, a gentleman from the States, my first non-Canadian guest, but he married a Canadian, and that's how I know him. He's a great dude. Uh, and he makes uh, YouTube videos under the banner Make Stuff. Told me a great story about an encounter with a large uh, squad of armed U.S. Marshals, like a squat team arriving at his apartment and everything that happened there. Was that a mistake he made that led up to that? It's, I mean, you could say it was his mistake to be there when it happened, but it really <laughs> really was his his roommate's mistake as it turns out i mean honestly some people or some of the guests have had trouble with the premise in that it's you know it does require you to think back like well what mistakes 
have I made? It, it's no problem for me. I was just thinking I've got a limitless resource of mistakes that I can <laughs> drop on to tell stories. But yeah, some folks, I guess, have lived lives without mistakes, which I find dubious. But uh, I don't want to press people too much either, you know. <laughs> AJ, I do have to ask you, do you have a very good therapist that you've been able to process all these so you can recognize them as mistakes and then been able to learn from them? I don't actually have a therapist. I've only been once to a, to a therapist. I went to a couple's counseling a couple times with an ex-girlfriend friend and fortunately haven't had to do that with my wife. (laughs) Maybe that's why I married her. Yeah, no, no therapy. I just, you know, recognize mistakes. Sometimes you got to like make the mistake knowing that uh, what I'm about to do is probably going to go wrong. But let's just find out (laughs) what the consequences can be so that we can either, uh, you know, learn from it appropriately or never make this mistake again. I don't think it's possible to achieve any level of fame without uh, making some serious mistakes along the way because you're taking big leaps. Mm, Exactly. Yeah, I've always been someone ready to take the risks. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So how can people tune in? People can find it on all the usual podcast places. I'm hosted at Podbean, but otherwise, um, yeah, I'm available on all the major platforms. I believe just look up uh, Mistakes Were Made with AJ Fry and you should find me. Now, talking about taking great leaps of faith and just releasing stuff into the wild and see, seeing how it goes, why did mm. you pick Manborg of all the movies you could have picked? Well, I mean, you are uh, limited to Canadian films and this is definitely my favorite that I can think of. I went to see this one at the Royal Cinema just shortly after it, it opened. It, I don't think it was the opening screening, but like maybe the next year. Um, brought back to the Royal Cinema, and I can't think of another cinematic experience that quite rivals what it's like to be in a theater watching Manborg with an enthusiastic crowd, loving it, eating it up, cheering and laughing, so much so that you're missing moments because the laughter hasn't died down. And, and just the celebration of so much of what I love. People pouring their heart and soul into a passion project. It's got that homemade feel, although it's incredible for something that was done on such a small budget. It is Canadian, but it's not saying, oh my goodness, look at me, I'm Canadian, which I appreciate. Yeah, we're not driving um, across Canada on a motorbike after the roll up the rim told us to. Exactly, yeah. Although, you know... Y- y- You'll spot some Canadiana in there. And uh, yeah, it's just a celebration of sci-fi and horror and crazy uh, claymation stop motion stuff. Just an, an incredible experience. And even beyond Manborg the film, they showed a short fake trailer for a film called Biocop, which is the hardest I've ever laughed at anything that I can recall. I was in tears uh, watching that. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the fake trailer for Biocop, if you haven't Get ready for it. It's on YouTube. All of the all their little shorts and stuff you can all find on YouTube, which is very yeah. helpful. This movie's a little bit harder to find if you're in the States. It's streaming on like every streaming platform for them, including Shutter. It's on Amazon Prime. If you're in Canada, you're yeah. gonna have to look a little bit harder, but it's always available for rent on iTunes, which I think we're all recommending you do if this is your cup of tea. Uh, I liked it. I definitely uh, I, I've seen a lot of these kinds of movies, as we say. This is a this is probably one of the earliest of them. But it's since become a bit of a trend. And I think since they obviously like innovated a lot of the technologies, but now the technology is a little simpler. But I was pretty impressed with how ambitious it was. I think Mm. it's also very wise to be like 65 minutes long, which uh, a lot of these overstay their welcome significantly. Or weirdly, like I think Kung Fury is like 30 minutes long, which is dumb in my opinion. Uh, and I found it quite funny, actually. I uh, I really loved the sense of humor. So, yeah, 
I think definitely just points for ambition. It also reminded me a lot. I think if I saw this when I was like a teenager, it would have blown my mind. And it hearkened me back to my old CanCon kind of similar one, uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, I was at the premiere of, if I'm not mistaken. It was shot up in Ottawa. My friend Graham Collins, or as his uh, musical pseudonym, Pongthrob, did the... I don't think he wrote the the songs for it, but he wrote the score. He may have been involved in writing some of the songs, but uh, yeah, so I wound up at that... uh, that Canadian premiere, so there's another one we can talk about sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I've seen that one. That one's pretty special. The most impressive part for me is, yeah, the homemade, like, I think they shot it in, like, a garage over, what, two years or something? Becky, you, you did all the research on this, right? Did I ever? Are you guys ready for this? This was made yeah. for, it's debated, under $1,000. Wow. The whole thing yeah. is the is the theory. I've seen between like fifteen hundred. Some people were like two thousand. I'm sure that's adjusted for inflation. But most people are like, yeah, it's just around the thousand dollar mark that the whole thing was made for. It did take about two years. The whole thing was shot in a garage with just a couple of green screens that they did, and they created the whole thing together, which is bananas. But Astron Six, here's your history lesson, kids. So Astron Six mm. was a group of filmmakers, all of whom are in the actual film itself, and they met in Winnipeg at like one of their big horror festivals. Got to and we're like, we should all make stuff together. And so they did. They started making a series of short films, trailers that very much had the sort of flavor of all of their favorite weird, gross-out 80s VHS movies. So stuff with titles like Laser Ghost 2, Laser Cove. <laughs> Which is pretty clever. And so some of them are like eight minutes or so. And this kind of brings me into RKSS because almost at the same time, uh, RKSS of Turbo Kid fame, et cetera, that we were talking about was doing exactly the same thing in Montreal and releasing that because they had their like Demonitron, they had their Redhead Deadhead, uh, Ninja Eliminator 3. So both of them were creating these short films uh, or, or short trailers for films. And also, um, oh, what is his name from Hobo with a Shotgun? Jason, Jason Eisner. Eisner, thank you. Jason Eisner from Hobo with a Shotgun, he was doing the same thing with his trailers that were all in the genre so that they could show off what sort of practical and special effects they could do. And then they sort of expanded that. So with this one, they got funding to shoot another trailer. That At that point, Steve Kostansky, who I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, he was like, guys, we've been doing so much of these shorts. Let's just shoot it as a feature and see how it goes. So they did. I was just thinking, these guys sound like they were, you know, doing the same thing as the Beatles versus the Beach Boys in terms of Canadiana, you know, encouraging one another. Were they aware of one another's existence? As far as I can tell, they probably met a couple times. Like, I looked for that because I was like, yeah, how much of this was them bouncing off each other? They must be running in the same circles. But uh, as far as I can tell, just apparently YouTube presence because RKSS was in Montreal and um, Astron right. 6 was in uh, Winnipeg, I think, and uh, Toronto. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's not super early in YouTube days, but it's early enough that you weren't necessarily like riding against each other all the time. It's interesting. It's just interesting, I think, too, that you see that like that nostalgia kind of coming up at the same time. Like, yeah, you kind of understand how that video nerd culture was developing. Mm hmm. I mean, and watching the trailer for Kung Fury was like, oh, this is just like Manborg. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, like it doesn't it's not as good. I think I'm safe saying that, right? Like Kung Fury. I mean, it had David Hasselhoff, sure. But and I guess 
quality wise it's better but something about it feels a lot more hollow there's a heart to manborg which doesn't sound right when you say it but it's there <laughs> especially the whole romance subplot with uh the baron versus uh so many ridiculous moments in the movie. Well, why don't you bring us through what this movie is about? Just a very brief pro- plot summary for people who may be interested in seeing it. Oh, gosh. Uh, so Manborg is uh, introduced to us as a, a soldier fighting in the last big war against the armies of hell. And shortly thereafter, we flash forward a number of years. He has been brought back to life unaware of how he got there and what his past really was. He's confused, but he's got these awesome powers and he becomes friends with a ragtag team of resistance fighters who he helps break out of prison uh, where they're being held and uh, forced into the uh, army of of hell. There's uh, the big bad of the movie is Count Draculon, who uh, actually kills Manborg's brother in the opening of the film. And the rest is your typical 80s action adventure of them trying to save the world and learning about themselves and becoming a family. Yeah, pretty well, except for then you find out at the very end that there is no heaven, so there's really no point in them fighting anyway. (laughs) I didn't want to spoil the end, but that line is just one of the greatest. (laughs) (laughs) Just ruining a a touching moment. There is no heaven from his deceased brother speaking from beyond the grave. Oh, okay. So, AJ, obviously you you are an expert in this particular genre of film. Cam, I know you are Mm. like a VHS junkie from way back. What does this film get right that makes it both accessible for new audience people and for people that are hardcore fans? Why does it work? You want to jump on that one? (laughs) Uh, Sure, sure. I mean, I think the thing that they're wise with as well, that a few of these parody things don't (laughs) get is they're not necessarily doing any specific kind of movie. It's it's a bit of this kind of shitty, like, Vindicator 80s action. It's a bit of anime. Actually, quite a lot of anime, really. Yeah. And also, like, just, you know, to me, it's, like, I, I think a couple people have done it where you think of, like, the cover of Mega Man, the NES game, versus what the game is actually like. I, I feel like they're trying to make, like, the cover of a VHS come to life, where it just has a bit of everything. And I think what they get is the earnest... I actually think, weirdly, this movie, as much as I do love the humor, I think it's strongest when it is earnest. And what they do is, like, have have pretty cool monsters, pretty good effects, pretty solid action. Like, all the action is believable. They're not doing hokey action. So that's what I think works well. I was thinking or imagining earlier describing it to someone as if you were... Thinking back on your own childhood, going to the corner video rental store, you would see a poster for Manborg and think, oh, I hope when I'm old enough I can watch that movie. It looks really cool. And that is what they delivered while being self-aware, while adding in humor, recognizing their own limitations and celebrating it all. It's all done with, with love and levity and joy and a whole lot of action and kicking butt and jokes and humor. Wasn't it written by the the two star, well, the director and the star, Manborg himself? Jeremy Gillespie actually is who it's co-written by, uh, and Jeremy played the Baron. Oh. Yeah, which is why he has all the best lines, so. Yeah. (laughs) 
Diva Kostansky talks about how there's an influence of like PC games. So uh, mm. stuff like Win- Wing Commander. And then, of course, you've got uh, things like Street Fighter. Yeah, that's, that's a game, right? Yeah, sure. People Definitely. play. <laughs> yeah. Street Fighter, the, the yeah, number one man looks a lot like uh, Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat um, in terms of his style. Uh, Definitely influenced by Doom and uh, Quake, I suppose, which would have been like late 90s, but uh, definitely Doom and uh, Castle Wolfenstein, that, that sort of stuff for sure. Just it's so impressive the uh, lengths that they went with all the original computer graphics within the film, um, yeah, all, all done by, uh, by Steve, the director, you know, on home computers. It's just, yeah, staggering when you watch it, considering that it was just a labor of love and so many hours poured in on, I'm guessing, After Effects and various other softwares. Well, and as far as I can tell, this is mostly self-taught stuff. And he would go on to work on the Silent Hill sequel, uh, Pacific Rim. He's doing a ton of stuff in Hollywood, kind of like Jason Eisner is doing the same thing now where he's handling everybody's death sequences because he's so good at them. It's so incredible that we can now have these autodidactic people teach themselves how to create these effects and make them acceptable for really discerning modern audiences. Mm -hmm. I also think that that it's just when you're talking about how these people all emerged, it's partially just due to the fact that that's what you had to do in Canada. I think that you see a lot of these guys are kind of the forefront of genre filmmaking simply because uh, the way our funding structure is, which is fine, they don't love genre stuff. Like nobody is going to fund a monster movie or like a you know, like a gore movie or even a crazy sci-fi movie. I mean, to give everyone credit, I guess it seems just like too much of a gamble. Like you might not pull it off, but also it, they just don't love giving money to genre stuff. Uh, so I think that that's you're just seeing that's the only way for these people to emerge in Canada is to do it themselves. Mm. To be a part of the Hollywood studio system where you actually get the budgets you need for epic sci-fi, you've, you've got to be American or break in some way, somehow. But uh, it's a shame. I mean, we definitely have excellent horror coming out of Canada, and there's huge returns on uh, budget versus box office um, on, on horror uh, endeavors. Epic sci-fi, epic action adventure with tons of CG? No, not from Canada. Not anytime soon. <laughs> No, no, yes. So would this be a better movie with a bigger budget, or is it exactly the right kind of story for this medium and how much budget they had? It wouldn't have been any better for uh, a bigger budget. Yeah, this is an example of just using the resources you have and actually exceeding because of the, the restrictions and all the creativity that goes into problem solving. How do we present this? How can we make this realized? You know, the finger smudges on the film, right? You, you can see it all and appreciate it all. I think you've, you've nailed it. It wouldn't be what it is if it had a bigger budget. And I also yeah. d- can't even imagine what it would be if it was, you know? I think that they were pushed due to the low budget to create it top to bottom. So it kind of exists because of the budget. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see The Void? I did, yeah. I have not seen The Void. Yeah, don't have anyone to watch scary movies with. <laughs> mm, I have a friend with the same problem. <laughs> His partner can't watch scary movies. It's great. Very gross. If you took kind of the, the thrust behind uh, Manborg but said it's serious and it's kind of a mashup of like every John Carpenter movie. It's like mm. a siege movie with 
crazy monsters and it's also kind of like prince of darkness i don't know because <laughs> that was also written by steve costanzian and jeremy gillespie which is why i bring it up they would do the uh, special effects and art direction for it as well as direct it yeah i can recall them uh, talking about it at the screening of manborg and getting very excited about the concept but uh yeah never got around to uh, to seeing it but it is on my list of films to watch for sure since I'm paid to do it, I can say it airs on Hollywood Suites. Um, but yeah, it, it actually took a while to come together. They did. I think it took a couple rounds of Kickstartering to get it done. A friend of mine uh, did a lot of the monster effects. The thing that I think I respect most about them is they're incredibly ambitious. It's probably the most practical creatures in any <clears throat> movie in recent memory. <laughs> you know, uh, I, we've actually profiled a few lately. It seems like Canada is is really staying on the forefront of practical stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that just takes so much time and budget these days. The the choice is either, you know, you wait for a guy who wants to make them to do it in his free time or you pay a billion dollars. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, yeah, if you like Practical Monsters, The Void is, is very much worth it. But we're just doing so many of these great practical things here in Canada. You talked about that a little bit, Cam. But I mean, there's a reason why shows like Hannibal and American Gods and stuff like that film here, because we have all of those effect shops ready to go and the talent to be able to, to hold on to it. And if our indie people are making stuff at this level, then obviously we have some sort of aptitude for it is because we can't go outside all winter. <laughs> we got to have hobbies. So what do you do? I make creatures and practical effects. It makes sense. (laughs) I'm just saying. And this is something else I'm kind of fascinated by, this idea. Because, I mean, we've always done referential stuff. And, like, we've always had pop culture and things to look back on and to reference. But it seems like we're in a very weird, maybe since, like, the mid-2000s until now, we've got this weird self-referential thing going on where we're really playing on conventions and tropes of stuff that came before to try and make new things, but to subvert our our expectations of stuff to make people, uh, to create suspense and to feel different ways. I feel like um, Cam and I were talking about Jordan Peele's movies before the show started. I feel like he's getting really right. good at that. Uh, someone like uh, Edgar Wright has always been great at that of like, you see what's coming? No, it's not. I'm going to subvert that. Why do you guys think that is? Why at this particular moment in time are we doing that? Well, maybe it's because we're now living in an era where content is so readily available with the introduction of, you know, VHS rentals growing in popularity in the 80s. The the adults of today did have so much to draw upon f- for inspiration versus you know, folks who would be a bit older who maybe didn't have access to that with, you know, there only being a handful of cable channels. And now with the introduction of the internet and YouTube and all the different things that you can go to, to, you know, there's an endless supply of content for us to enjoy. So when you're making new content, it's almost impossible to not be deeply inspired by stuff that's already out there. So you should probably at least acknowledge it and then try to subvert those expectations when you're creating it. So the content that we're going to be getting, especially in the next few years from even the next set of young directors is yeah, going to be a, a lot of cannibalizing content that is either aware of its uh, references and um, plotting them, celebrating them um, in a self-aware manner, or gosh, it'll be interesting to see if there's anything that is truly uh, revolutionary in its originality. It's It's difficult to imagine in this current situation that we're all in. Cam, we were talking, uh, I mean, you just do so much research and have such an encyclopedic knowledge of the history of stuff. Is this unique to this time period or is this something that's always happened? I agree. It's. I think it's a unique level of access that, that AJ was talking about. Absolutely. And I do think that hopefully that will innovate. 
it's not unusual to just like I mean one thing you always point out when you're working in the history of film is like remakes that, that which have actually existed since the start of film like people you know the the Wizard of Oz was remade twice before the Wizard of Oz we even know really you'll oh yeah yeah there's a two silent ones i believe the wizard of oz in the 30s was considered like an edgy one that like strayed from the book like like not your granddaddy's <laughs> wizard of oz um so yeah there's weird stuff like that uh but i kind of agree i don't know it, it seems tough i guess the hope is that once everything kind of cannibalizes itself and we get tired of that it will cause more innovation we're probably due for a lot more of it and i also think I could go on forever, but I think currently even big studios in Hollywood are like just a little terrified of innovation financially. Yeah. I think the other hope is that as kind of scary as the globalization of popular cinema is to a lot of people, I do hope that the influence of other cultures, I think a lot of people kind of hate like, ah, these blockbusters are just made for the Chinese, but it's like, but what if somebody actually made an American blockbuster for the Chinese? Like that might look more interesting than we give them credit for. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. Very intrigued by the idea of, uh, yeah, more global influences and uh, filmmakers who are able to draw from different inspirations and, and different backgrounds. Um, I was uh, looking today on, on Twitter and someone posted a, uh, an explanation of a shot from the film Old Boy, which is one of my all-time favorites. The like long tracking uh, fight sequence shot was originally supposed to be a hundred different shots and uh, just going into how the director and actor decided it would just be better, but you know, a big challenge to do it all in one take, but also it would be quicker and easier and how that iconic shot ended up coming to fruition. So yeah, it'll be cool to see um, folks drawing uh, upon um, a lot of different cultures and different uh, stories from from different places all over the world and bringing them together. And especially because they have such great monsters overseas that we haven't even been exposed to yet. So it's like, <laughs> yes, bring right. me your kappas. I want to see how I want to see that like underwater <laughs> monster movie. All the things, bring them to me. Exactly, exactly. Show me something I haven't seen before, which is the point we're going to get to, especially as people, I mean, people are already starting to explore VR as uh, as a method. I'm one of those people that gets viciously ill while doing VR, so it's not going to be great mm. for me. But like, there's just oh, so no. many different methods. Well, um, hilariously, I get incredibly motion sick on roller coasters, but VR is no problem for me. So I'm super keen for all those uh, cinematic experiences that we might get. It'll, I wonder if uh, we'll have some Canadian innovators in that space in the near future, um, given our uh, propensity for uh, creating weird genre content with new technologies. Maybe we'll be at the forefront of it. Actually, we already are and we already do because the NFB is currently collaborating with Soul Pepper right now to create a film uh, that I believe is going to be out next year. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. There's there's really good uh, grants at the moment for VR, I can say. We're, we mostly do VR documentaries, but we're doing a documentary on Night of the Living Dead in VR. So I, I, at least the Canadian, currently the Canadian arts climate is still very b- bullish on VR. So we'll see if anything comes of that. All right. We are at favorite moments, guys. What are your favorite moments of this? I mean, to go back to the conclusion of, uh, of Manborg with the, uh, and to spoil it, that, that line of, yeah, it's me, your brother. Remember from the, I died at the beginning and there's no heaven. <laughs> Oh, that was a pretty good one for sure. That that is good. We we always uh, to make you feel good. We always uh, play this podcast as if people have seen the movie. So, 
Okay. Don't okay. worry. It's their own fault if they've gotten this deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I, I think what you were talking about, the Baron, I like, as much as I think, I, I really do think the strengths of this movie are it's kind of like earnest action sequences. Uh, the Baron stuff is so funny. It reminds me of like an Archer episode or something. Mm. He is always a goofy character, but most of the other characters are played straight, except for the one time where Count Dracula <laughs> comes in on him with flowers for the prisoner. <laughs> and the, the Count Dracula just goes like, uh, are those for me? <laughs> and uh, it's a great, like, weird, awkward moment between two, like, monsters. Well, charmed me. I loved the uh, the moment as well in the prison cell while he was uh, pontificating to himself. She was prisoner number seven but always prisoner number one for me <laughs> my favorite uh, moment is the way he gets his name where he looks at his human hand and he's like man and then he looks at his cyborg hand and he's like borg and it's man borg like it just takes me back to the anima bag jones joke from the wrong guy which i still sure. really love yeah i'm totally on board for that and they just keep playing with that and like his misunderstandings of, of how things work like what's your name man borg where are you from i woke up in a box like yeah it's yeah. just it's so clever and so much fun and i also i really like the fights sequences they all look really good they're beautifully choreographed but at no point are you worried that like someone's gonna hit somebody else with a broom handle and go down so that's good yeah they, they did a good job framing everything and just uh, you know so awesome considering that they've got to make use of only shooting against the green screen otherwise we got to rotoscope the crap out of this <laughs> uh, also there is a comic book uh that is out about this as a sequel um that uh, oh. it was produced or uh, was done by peter Cap- Plowski, who was the producer, and it was also co-written by filmmaker Justin DeClue, friend of the show. Cool. Yeah, so now I'm like, oh, Justin did this, of course. I don't know if you guys saw it on YouTube, but there is a unauthorized fan sequel that's about 15 minutes long, done in a very similar homemade style that pays homage to the original. So that's worth uh, looking into if you're a huge Manborg aficionado as well. That is very much in the vein of, like, I'm sure what these guys would like to inspire. Like, everybody make their own Mm. riff on whatever. As long as we don't get into slash fiction, because I just, I can't handle that. But we'll go, we'll go for some other stuff. I mean, speak for yourself, Becky. I'm way into (laughs) manborg slash fiction. Now that you brought it up, I'm going to have to get going. I have some research to do. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, AJ, how can people find you and all the cool stuff you're doing right now? Find me on all the socials as at AJAYFRY and otherwise mistakes were made is available at ajfry.podbean.com. How about you, Cam? How do people find you? I'm at CamFest on Twitter. Um, at iCram on Instagram is where you can see all my movie reviews. I'm doing a ton right now due to the upcoming season of our TV show. And uh, yeah, otherwise, Hollywood Suites. I'm writing again a bit, so uh, hollywoodsuite.ca slash connect. You can read some little tidbits about movie history. And if you want to find him on the Manborg slash fiction forums, he is Camborg555. <laughs> Underscore 69, always. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and as for usual, you can find me on the Twitters, at Liz Shrimpton. That's the masculine Liz Shrimpton over there. Follow the podcast at RCMPod. That's all there. And uh, the show that Cam and I did for Hollywood Suite is uh, coming out very soon in December, so keep an eye out for that as well. A Year in Film is what that's titled, so that'll be really cool. I think that's just about everything. AJ, do you want to go get a moose head? Yeah, hells yeah. Let's do it. Great. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. 
Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.